Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. I hope you're doing just wonderful this morning. I really mean that. And if you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and the sovereignty of Almighty God in all things, then I know you're doing wonderful, despite what's happening around us in our community, country, and the world. But uh, let's go to the Lord and open this one in prayer, as we always do. Father, thank you for uh, giving us today. Uh, This is the day that you have made. We rejoice and we're glad in it, and we know you are faithful. We know, God, uh, no matter what's going on and uh, no matter how many people are affected by the current uh, pandemic, uh, we know that you are sovereign and in control. We know that you use seasons like this in, in human life to draw people to you, to bring people to their knees, in some cases to bring the church to their knees to repent and turn back to you, Um, We pray in Jesus' name that you would use this and that you would maybe cause a stir of revival and and awakening in your church, Lord. I don't know how bad it has to get before something like that could happen, but we trust you. We love you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for this season and what it represents, that you made your way into Jerusalem. You were determined to get to the cross and for the joy set before you. Uh, You are now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and we thank you that uh, you overcame. Thank you that we can because of your spirit within us. And we just lift up this time to you. We ask that people that need hope and encouragement would receive that today. And also we could get into some thought-provoking discussion about what's happening and how we can respond better to uh, things around us right now in this country. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to welcome back to the program a good friend, uh, Pastor Chris Quintana, now from Texas, not Southern California. Hey, Chris, welcome back. <laughs> well, thank you, first of all. And, and when you say it that way, I think, oh, my gosh, yeah, a lot has changed, hasn't it? Yeah, the last time you were on, which was like yeah, two months ago, uh, we were talking to you. It was uh, 7 o'clock your time. But now you were in the same time frame and time zone, I should say, and um you moved recently. Uh, I'm guessing you're all settled in now, but tell us about getting used to breathing and having peace and space, and you can actually see the stars at night, you were telling me before we got on the air. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different world, and, and uh, I, you know, the, the funny thing about it is that where we are in this part of Texas is probably more like a lot of places in the country where uh, where we were in California is kind of there are not a lot of places quite like it um california has an incredible natural beauty but it is insanely congested and very very poorly run and uh you know on the political side of things it's the place i grew up but it doesn't even resemble what i grew up in it's changed so dramatically over the years but yeah here if i walk outside it's peace and quiet the weather's quite a bit different. That was we were really spoiled in California, hmm. but um, all in all, this has been a very, very good move, and the timing is fascinating to me. Really, is that because of your family, or is that because of just what's happening in the country and the government in California? <laughs> well, all the above. <laughs> um, we, you know, we we got out at a time. Um, when nobody could possibly have seen this going forward. We, we got out here at the very beginning of last month. And uh, it, you know, obviously coronavirus was making its way in the early stages through the country and all that stuff, but there was nowhere near the panic. And uh, now a lot of people are putting a lot of things on hold. And mm. uh, from what I've talked to the people back home, that, that whole state is kind of on lockdown much more so than here. And even here, it's a little frustrating. Hmm. So I, the timing was fantastic. And, you know, we're, we're not having to kind of play out the string in California. We were able to get here and get things set up before all the madness. Wow. 
Fascinating. And we'll get to that. We do want to talk about what's happening. Uh, governors and states are making some, uh, well, some would call it power grabs, some very uh, uh, interesting decisions and uh, recommendations for their state. Some of them are orders uh, to the state. But anyway, um, you have a website called oldpaththeology.net. And this is your um, it's not a new ministry because you've been doing this. You've been teaching, of course, for years, but you're putting things together to bless the body of Christ, blogs, uh, teachings. Would you tell us about what you're currently doing, what you hope to accomplish? Well, um, thank you very much for asking that, David. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, what uh, what we knew we wanted to do was to be out here where we've moved to. It's closer to my daughter and my grandson and a different pace of life. But what I've always done when we left the church there in Cyprus, that had been our home fellowship, my wife and I, for 34 years. Wow. The only place we've ever known. Wow. Um, we were brand spanking new believers when we first went there. And um, what we found in that church was a, a church that would take the time to go through the entirety of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, every single book, every chapter, every verse. And it was on that cycle. If you're in the Old Testament, start at Genesis, get to Malachi, and start all over again. <laughs> so about 10 years ago, uh, this June the 20th will be 10 years since uh, since my pastor, Jack Stevens, went to be with the Lord, and I took his place. I managed to get through the entire New Testament once. I have not yet finished the Old Testament. Um, but what I, what I really felt I wanted to do once I got here, and... Here it turns out everybody's doing church online now because you can't assembled. Uh, yeah, very interesting. I told everybody back home and the people that watched us online that what I'd like to do is once I get to Texas, um, immediately I'd like to start recording and pick up where I left off. So we were we were at that time in the book of Deuteronomy, and we had just begun 1 Corinthians. My approach in the New Testament was, for the people that are familiar with how the Bible lays out, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called synoptic Gospels, so they're very similar, and uh, John kind of sits by itself. It's such a different approach to the Gospel. But what I thought, rather than maybe get into redundant um, uh, topics or themes that are found in the Gospels, is we split them up. So we would start at Matthew, and then I would go to the book of Acts went back to Mark, and then went to Romans, and you get you get the picture. So major epistle, you know, gospel, and then once we get to 2 Corinthians, we just move our way through the New Testament. So we had just begun 1 Corinthians, and so that's what I'm doing now. Um, on, on Monday nights, I put up, like tonight, we'll be putting up the Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 17 and 18 from where we were the week before. And then First uh, Corinthians goes up on Thursday. So we put them up on Mondays and Thursdays. What I wanted to do, of all the things that I've ever done in the way of pastoring, I believe the most important thing is the, the through the Bible exposition, uh, because that's, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So that's all I've ever known. And that was the one thing that I felt once we got here, if people wanted to work through the text with me, I'd love continue the teaching uh, aspect of ministry. And I'm glad to say back home, they're doing the exact same thing. Uh, we're just in different books. Uh, Pastor Ed, who took over for me, uh, grabbed an Old Testament. We just lost Chris. I don't know if you can hear us, Chris. Um, we may have disconnected. So I am. we're going to try to get you back on the air. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to mention your website again, oldpaththeology.net. And uh, we'll get, hopefully, Chris will call right back. Um, he, obviously, I don't know if he mentioned the year, but he came to uh, Calvary Chapel of Cypress, California, in eight, 1985. And to that point, uh, he would have described himself as a religious person. But uh, the idea of having a relationship with God was a foreign concept. And I think a lot of us go through that when we first come to Jesus or come to know the Lord. Uh, we want to do as much as we can, so we get into this uh, works theology or this works uh, you know, mentality that we've got to do enough, but then we, we understand the God of grace more fully as we study the Scriptures and we understand that righteousness is by faith alone, through Christ alone. And uh, it's, it's just an interesting 
progression that we each, each take in our individual lives. Some people don't go through that. Some people maybe have the blessing of being brought up in a church that teaches sound doctrine from the beginning. You were in a Christian family, so to speak. And so you have that foundation laid so that when you do come to an age where you trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart, um, you know it's by faith and you know that you can do nothing. We can do nothing to get into a better place with God, to get to a better level, uh, to be saved or unsaved. It is not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast, it says in Ephesians 2, um, 8 and 9. We are saved by grace. So I appreciate the Calvary Chapel teachings. I lived out in Southern California for 17 years and I went to one, I mean, is two Calvary Chapels? I think I went to one or two. And I just like the teaching of uh, verse by verse going through Scripture because what we find today in American Christianity, and we're getting Chris uh, Quintana back on with us in a minute, uh, we find that nothing is wrong with teaching series or topical sermons, but more often than not, they're about life enhancement or self-improvement rather than going into the Scriptures, reading about the context and the meaning and what does God want us to get through it. Not, how does this make us feel when we're studying the Scriptures? So I really do appreciate churches, and they're unfortunately today a minority that go just verse by verse and really the whole counsel of God. Um, Chris, we have you back? Yes, I didn't know I was gone. Oh, so you just heard me start talking and then and then I just rattled off a bunch of stuff. No, I was just talking a little bit about your background, the background of Calvary Chapel. And when I was out in Southern California, the, my appreciation for verse-by-verse teachings, and uh, that's what kind of got me well-grounded when I came to the Lord. But I don't remember, I think you were still, uh, you were talking about the Old Path Ministries, and I wanted to ask you about um, a recent um, post, a blog, it's called End of Days or Just Birth Pains. Now, people can go listen. I'll put the link in today's podcast notes at StandUpForTheTruth.com. But can you give us a little overview of what that teaching is about? Yeah, it was kind of a response to what I feel was a lot of overreaction. And uh, I heard some people saying, you know, this is a judgment from God, the, the, the virus and uh, people saying, you know, end of days and all that. And I kind of wanted to give uh, old paths kind of view on this. And the first part of it is if this was really the wrath of God, everybody would know it. I, absolutely. And so from Revelation 6 at the sixth seal, you get to the point where the people that are being judged, they run to the, the mountains and the rocks and they say, hide us from the one who sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Mm. So it's obvious what's going down, and so nobody would need to scratch their head and wonder, I I wonder if this is the wrath of God. (laughs) Everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. And so when people start to overreact, I think it's time for a little bit of, let's be level-headed here. And do I believe that there is any eschatological or any end times aspect to this? I do absolutely in this aspect. I think that what you see is people that are being programmed to be ready for somebody who will have all the answers when it gets really, really bad. Hmm. Um, you know, think about it. When you, If you really take the literal view of the book of Revelation, after the first four seals, more than a billion people are dead. And if somebody was able to make the problems go away, Imagine what people would be willing to give up to make that happen. Mm. Absolutely, so. freedom, um, and, yes. and, and and yeah, it, it, I want to talk to you more about that. Maybe we should just camp out here for a little bit. Uh, we're talking with Pastor Chris Quintana, Old Path Ministries, and a, a lot of people are. There's a debate going on among Christians as to how we should respond to government and some of the uh, proclamations that are going out, some of the... For example, let me go over to... I just had it on... Um, I pulled up your church your, the, in Calvary Chapel, Cyprus, and they've got a response to the governor's announcement. Now, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom, is that different, uh, to your knowledge, is that different or much different or more severe or restrictive than the guidelines coming from the Trump administration? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Newsom. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're laughing because I, I, you're now in Texas, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm not embarrassed of my governor anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know if people had a chance to see it, but they arrested a guy out in Malibu who was paddleboarding. Oh God! He was, he was <laughs> dead serious. There's like one or two of the the Harbor Patrol or whatever they call them boats. It came out to a guy. I mean, there was nobody in the in the video shot of this thing, but he dared to, you know, not do what he was being told to do, and he's out paddleboarding with no one in sight, and they came and arrested him. Wow! So I, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's just it's the hysteria of this. And I remember thinking when Newsom was saying that it was going to be in the millions and millions of people affected in California, and who knows this untold number of deaths that would occur in California, it's come nowhere near those numbers, and it won't. But and Newsom, if you know how he is, he's slimy this way, he would basically say, well, it would have been that bad had we not taken such dramatic action. Oh, of course. So it's yeah, and of course he will he will take the victory lap and it's just it's the state of California. Wow. So what is very interesting is is how dutiful people are in doing what they're being told to do. And mm. you know, I don't want to minimize the the effect that this has on people and there are a lot of people who are very very ill with this and many that die, but interestingly enough, this one is quite selective with the ones that it takes out. And so it just seems interesting that, you know, we we have to go through cold and flu season every year and people die by the tens of thousands every year. But never, other than people saying, you know, be careful, wash your hands, you know, don't sneeze without covering your mouth and all that stuff. And it's, that happens every year. But this time it's, the reaction is so different. You would think it's an Ebola outbreak and not this. Oh, there's so much more we need to get into. We've we've got about two minutes before we need to take a break. But, oh, what direction? You just brought up just, just the amount of people that die every year. Um, I was listening to a uh, podcast from Curtis Bowers this morning, and he said, this seems really high. 56,000 die every year in the U.S. from the average flu. That's the highest uh, number or estimate I've heard, and he said that uh, most people are 75 years and older. Most have compromised immune systems. In other words, similar to COVID-19, people contract this if they're vulnerable to it, if they're older. Not to say that young people cannot, but we are. Let's see. Go over into uh, the coronavirus dashboard now. In America, it looks like 9,600 have died. Now, this, we first got one to this sometime in January, January, February, March. So we're three, going four months in now, 9,600 deaths. And keeping that in perspective, even if 56,000 is too high, let's just say 40 or 50,000 just from the flu alone every year. And we're at 9,000 from COVID-19. I would just love to get your perspective on that. Exactly. Uh, I, nobody ever talks about this, but a few things that people need to take into account, and again, don't trust the media to give you the straight oh, you know, scoop on this. I know. Uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago that they were saying America has surpassed and has more uh, infections than anywhere else on the, on the planet. And I, I do the numbers and say, okay, compare us to Italy. <laughs> they, if you do it on a per capita basis, mm -hmm, exactly. we're five, almost six times their population. So we're nowhere near the amount of inf infections per capita. So, you know, a little perspective would be wonderful, but you'll never get it from the media. Mm. But when it comes to this, let's face it, do, you know, use some common sense here. Nobody dies purely of coronavirus or of the flu. You're going to die because of secondary reasons because you have respiratory problems or you have a compromised immune system and your system can't fight it off. In this case, you you look at the numbers and not to be callous, but it really is quite selective in the people that it targets than the ones who succumb to it. Mm. Anybody can get this, but the numbers just are not, it's not taking out young people. It's not taking out healthy people. Um, but it's taking out people with a lot of other secondary issues. And so 
those people, it is a great idea for them to not go out in public and not be exposed to this until it's really on the tail end of infection. But, you know, people that are healthy are just not, are not dying of this. They may get sick, but they're recovering quite well. It's interesting, and this a lot of this is um, due to hubs, major hubs in America, and the mass, the majority number of cases are around these hubs: New York City, uh, Chicago, Atlanta, you know, Southern California, where people are traveling. Miami, Florida. I'm looking at the map of deaths due to coronavirus in the last four months. Uh, Idaho, ten; Utah, eight. Um, Let's see, Iowa 22, Arkansas 16, New Hampshire 9, um, and it goes up, Virginia 52. Looking right here in Wisconsin, I think we were right, we were right around 58. Okay, now I, can't, I lost Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan, though, probably because of Detroit, 617. New Jersey, which is, of course, right next to New York, 917. And then New York, 4,159. And that is mainly because of New York City and the travel and the tourism and everything else that caused it to spread. And then we've got other issues with hospitals and retirement centers. But we've got to take a break. We're on the line with Pastor Chris Quintana. The website we're going to be directing you to is oldpaththeology.net. More with Pastor Chris when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We've got Chris Quintana on the line from Weatherford, Texas. Yes, he's a Texan. Next thing you know it, he'll be wearing cowboy boots and cowboy hats. And we are talking about COVID-19 and the stats that the media is not giving us the full story on. We've been talking about this for literally weeks here, possibly with every other guest. We touch on some of these numbers and touch on the progression and what the direction these things are going. And you mentioned, uh, well, let me just tell you, Italy right now, according to this uh, COVID-19 dashboard, 15,950 deaths in Italy due to coronavirus. And you said if if that was uh, what they're projecting in America, you'd multiply that times six. Could you explain? Sure. Um, our population versus theirs. It's, it'll be, it's hard to say exactly because we don't know for sure the number of people who live here yet. We're doing a census currently. But let's just say conservatively, we are five times their population. So if they've lost 15,000 people times five, that would be the equivalent of 75,000 dead here. Hmm. And we're nowhere near that. No. But yet, when you find the gleeful you know, people on MSNBC or CNN talking about how we have more reported cases than anywhere else on the planet, well, what's the mortality rate? And, hmm. you know, we have better testing and more readily available testing. And, you know, it's like... The idea of comparing us to other parts of the planet, unless you give all the details, people should just stop it because they're feeding the hysteria, and it's meant to inflict damage on the administration. Yes, it is, and I'm glad you brought that up. That's a nice transition. Uh, by the way, Texas is at 133 uh, deaths and Wisconsin at uh, 68. Um, Susan Rice uh, crossed a line, as, of course, uh, you, you would expect from her. Uh, she just was the one that would trumpet the Obama administration talking points. And um, in fact, anyway, <laughs> I was going to bring up Benghazi. Oh, blame, oh I did. I did I mention. Say, did, she bl- did she blame coronavirus on the YouTube video? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was someone put out this YouTube video. Oh, that's good, Chris. Uh, but she said that the president of the United States has cost tens of thousands of American lives. She blamed the Trump administration. She said they were not interested in pandemics. They were not prepared for pandemics. And let me just stop right there and remind people that during the swine flu, H1N1, the Obama administration had the opportunity to make sure that hospitals had all these masks and ventilators, and they could have done something to increase the uh, stockpile, so to speak, of these things, but they did nothing. So now all the blame seems to go on the Trump administration. But let let's just uh, get your take on how people on the meet in the media, Chris, are just trying to make Trump look bad, like he didn't respond properly. You know, they would always take the opposite approach of his administration's decisions. So I'd just like to share your thoughts on that. 
Sure. Uh, a little bit of historical rewind is a good idea. Um, I believe, if if I recall correctly, during H1N1, the first reported cases were in April of 2009, and he declared a national emergency, a health emergency, in November of that year, after a thousand people had already died. President Obama, so, you say? Yes, President mm-hmm. Obama. And then, as far as the same people here that are that are criticizing. Uh, Trump, think about this. I think our first reported case here was January the 21st, and I think it was on the 31st that he declared the emergency and he put travel restrictions on China. That's 10 days. Which the Democrats and disagreed were, with. Sure, they called him a xenophobe. They said it was a racist thing and that it was hysterical, according to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Now they're all on board. And the same people that were accusing President Trump of being a fascist are now wanting him to be a fascist and take over everything at government control. Mm. Pathetic. Yes. Um, Good comparison, because we forget, and I know we've mentioned this several times, but the media won't talk about it, so we have to. Um, There were over a thousand deaths before the Obama administration declared that a state of emergency. Uh, We are just now at, uh, I think, 9,000 some uh, in America, 9,600. So we have not yet reached the point that it was in 2009 during the H1N1 um, epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to refer to it as. And it took him f- between four and six months. I'd heard, I've heard different reports. Either way, the Obama administration certainly did not act quickly. Um, here, the Trump administration did, and he's getting hammered. I, I'm, I have a really Hard time with the media in this country, Chris, because um, they are not even trying to hide their bias anymore and their their disdain for the Trump administration. And it's just not helping the American people at all. And, and you know what, David, it's I'm glad that you said it. And this is it's one of two things. They say these things either because they're completely ignorant or they say them knowing full well that they're being dishonest, but they know that the general population is not going to know any better. And neither of those two options is good. But really, that's that's the way it's been for the whole three years. And if, if President Trump had reacted to this the way that Obama had uh, reacted to H1N1— Oh, my goodness— Can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't. If they, I mean, if they already tried to impeach him for— for whatever they speculated that he did or thought they did, they would really try to hammer him over this. And by the way, uh, oh, go ahead, Chris. Oh, I, you know, just again, something I saw just blew my mind. Um, when it came to the hydroxychloroquine, and when they first started doing that, President Trump said it showed promise, and they mocked him. <laughs> and then there was that couple that took. Um, chloroquine phosphate, which is a tank cleaner for fish. And I actually read this in one of the, the European press. It was in one of the uh, uh, one of the newspapers in England. Blame Trump for yep. giving people false hope, and they went out and killed themselves taking something that Trump said was safe. Oh, like, geez. Trump said nothing of the sort. He didn't tell anybody to go out and take chloroquine high, um, phosphate because that would kill you. Hmm. It's just, but this is, you know, such is media. They're so irresponsible and complicit. Um, I just read yep. this meme, and then I, I want to just mention a few other facts here, um, that President Trump spent last week, a good part of last week, distributing ventilators, setting up small business loans, dispatching hospital ships, erecting alternate care facilities, and he held daily press briefings. What did Nancy Pelosi do? She spent the week setting up a new House committee to investigate Donald Trump her and Adam Schiff. This is the priorities of the Democrat Party, including the Democrat media. And um, now I want to get your thoughts on something you posted, which is very, I think, provocative. Uh, last or a couple days ago, you said on your Facebook, your personal Facebook page, just wondering when will it be okay to question the accuracy of the models about CV COVID nineteen and who will do so publicly. Well, now, finally, there are some voices that are speaking out about this, and I think we need a lot more voices to do this because it, the models are only as good as the uh, the uh, information you put into it, correct? <laughs> yeah, the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> um, 
I would ask people to go ahead and look at all of the different um, uh, projections that we've seen on this from day one and, and find out how many of them have been even remotely close to accurate. I wonder so, how many people have yeah. done that. <laughs> None. Hmm. Or else they wouldn't be able to continue the charade of, of putting out the numbers with impunity. There's no, there's no accountability to this at all, and that's so frustrating. Hmm. But what I'm, what I'm hoping and it's hope against hope, I don't expect it to happen, is they'll, the powers that be, there's, you know, if they could ever drop their agenda, would actually start reporting accurately. But I, you know, again, it's, it's hoping against hope. And such are the days. I mean, it is what it is. So uh, the, the, the thing that would be really nice is we could get some accuracy in reporting. But I just don't see that ever happening and again, for Adam Schiff and for Nancy Pelosi to want to do this, you want to say, you know, the last time you guys decided to roll up your sleeves, Trump was at the early stages of trying to do something about the this this COVID-19 while you were trying to impeach him. So, you know, I, I to me, again, let him do this because it means that they're going to be doing far less things <laughs> that would be really harmful to the country. And so the further that they stay away from the sharp objects, the better. There is, in my opinion, an irresponsible article that came out by, from the Associated Press. And our, unfortunately, our one of our local news outlets in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, put, put it up on their website as well. And basically what they're saying is they were um, accusing the Trump administration of not acting quickly enough and not doing enough at the very beginning of the spread of the outbreak when we were getting news of it. And if you think about it, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm sure they could have done some things better. I'm not going to be an apologist for any administration. But the point is, they all the Democrats, they were just in the impeachment mode. And that's all we heard about in the news. I heard an interview with uh, Senator, I believe it was Tom Cotton, saying he was trying to bring this to the Senate floor. He was trying to get a voice, to get an audience, to talk about this, to talk about China and what was happening over there, that they were lying, and he could not get time on the Senate floor because of the impeachment proceedings. Pastor Chris, go. <laughs> yeah. The, again, you, if you look at who was saying what at what times as we rolled this out, if you did it kind of event by event and look at how this whole thing has gone, you know, people, if they were going to be objective and not swayed by what they see in the media, if they did their own homework, they would be appalled at, at what has happened and the things that have really kind of hamstrung the efforts even to this point. And I, I would want people to stop for just a moment and say, or to consider this, think about the two people that are that are competing for his job, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Oh, help us. If those guys were in in charge neither one of them would have looked to the private sector for any kind of help. Good and yet point. it's the private sector that's done an awful lot in this. And so, you know, like him or not, most of the people can't stand the president over personality issues and not policy ones. Hmm. So point. put aside all the personality stuff. And he treated this like a businessman. So you see him over and over. He's rolled out all of these CEOs and these, heads of companies that have come out and said, we're going to retool our manufacturing to produce this, that, and the other thing. Think about a guy like Bernie Sanders who wants to nationalize everything. And oh my gosh, if he was the president and his worldview was the, the, the prevailing way of handling things, we would be losing people like Italy does, a democratic socialist oh my country. Goodness. Nightmare. So you know, yeah, of course, start thinking about mm. those types of things. Or if it's Joe Biden, he can't string together a sentence without losing it. So unless he had insanely competent people around him, I couldn't look to either one of those guys for any kind of leadership in this. And I'm thankful for Donald Trump at this point in time because he's handling this in a business way and he's getting private industry to get yes. involved in a major way where government couldn't do it. Yes, the private sector. I just I saw some really positive stories online last night, or actually on a, 
I don't remember what program we were watching, but there are uh, restaurants that are pizza places, restaurants that are delivering to nurses and doctors in the hospitals, and they're they're kind of doing a, a not a what do you call it when not a trade, but when they get a certain amount of business, oh, they're going to match a matching offering kind of. In other words, if they sell 200 pizzas in a certain time frame, they're going to donate 200 pizzas to the nearest hospital for all the workers. And there's so many good things going on. I think of Mike Lindell, MyPillow.com. But I want to ask you about an article uh, another friend, pastor friend of ours, uh, Randy White, put out, just came out today. It's called A Populist Kept Fearful is Ripe for Abuse. And, uh, you know, we've heard about in the old days, don't eat eggs, they're bad for you. Um, don't use those light bulbs. And he goes on and on and on. He, and he said this, in our lifetime— the government has become the biggest purveyor of fear the world has ever known. Uh, the government has learned that it, it, if it can get us to fear, it can get us to do just about anything. So here we are, washing our hands like crazy, and maybe we are. Our nation has never had cleaner hands than in the past few weeks. Why? Because we're afraid. And out of this fear, we've given up our jobs, our churches, our businesses, our civil liberties, our retirement accounts, our schools, even in some cases, our ability to go for a walk, all for a $1,200 check and a soothing feeling that maybe we won't all die. <laughs> I'd love to get your take on the fear and, and this, our reaction as a society, and what are we depending on? I guess for Christians, that's the question, isn't it, Chris? Sure it is. The funny thing about it is that now we're actually to the point of being able to look at the reaction of people and make satire of it. <laughs> <laughs> that what a, what a strange place. And again, mm -hmm. I've been throwing this out to people and saying, okay, if we really re were caring about doing what we need to do, we want to be safe, but we don't want to trash and destroy the economy and the country, that it takes years to recover. So what we should do during every cold and flu season, we go out and we do what we do and we realize that it's there, but it's kind of in the periphery. Well, I know that, that people that are 30 and 40 years old who are healthy and don't have underlying medical issues, let them go out and, and keep the country going and don't shut it down. If nothing else, at least for the perception mentally of what it does when you see everything looks like the zombie apocalypse around you, that <laughs> just tends to mess with your mind. Yes. But to me, I would like to see where we're saying, look, you're not in the target group that gets wiped out by this thing. And, you know, carry on with life. But the people who are really in a place of immune compromised and elderly with underlying medical conditions, by all means, sequester them. And, and let them do so, you know, keep themselves free from it until this thing is not being spread. But a blanket policy to wipe out the economy when this doesn't go after young, healthy people, it's just not wise. And, yeah, the idea of giving up all kinds of civil liberties and shutting down churches and all the rest of it, pretty, pretty frightening. Uh, we've got to take a break. When we come back with Pastor Chris Quintana, we're going to talk about what makes an essential business, and is that a doctrine that uh, is going to last uh, down the road here? And we'll talk more when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Pastor Chris Quintana. The website is oldpaththeology.net. Before we continue our conversation, and now we're going to talk about essential businesses, um, Pastor Chris, what is the difference between theology and doctrine? Uh, well, why we chose the name Old Path Theology. The, the two terms, I think, get interchanged all the time, and they mean different things. Your theology is what? how does God do what he does? It's your the, the theology of theos. It's your understanding or the knowledge of God as we know him. How does he do what he does? Hmm. And that's what's going to set your doctrine in place. We teach this because this is what we know of the nature of God. Both things are taught in Scripture. Paul helps us with things like theology, but like what we're doing in Deuteronomy. God could, it's so interesting, last night in the text that we're, that we're putting up today, Moses is telling the people what to expect when they get in the land, and God is communicating directly to them not to pay attention to the idols of the people that are in the land. 
This is theology. He's telling the people, don't pay attention to the gods who can't speak, and he is directly communicating with his people. That's who he is, and that's what he does. So our doctrine based upon that would be God tells you things in advance, tells you what to expect, but he also tells you how to live and what we're supposed to do to walk rightly before him. So old path taken from Jeremiah 6, that's seeking out the good way and the old paths, God is is very recognizable and you can count on him. He will tell you who he is and what he does, and the scripture gives us the direction of those things. Hmm. Excellent. Um, let's go to this next topic uh, about essential businesses. The thing that a lot of us are struggling with is there are a lot of small businesses that don't have a lot of employees that could be working because they could keep you know, 10 feet apart, but they're not because they're not getting the business due to the uh, government uh, recommendations. But there's an article by Peter Heck. I believe it's over at Discern, D-I-S-R-N. It's a relatively new website. And he said the expiration date on the essential business only doctrine has passed. And you see a picture of a, a business window with a sign saying closed coronavirus. Uh, he said that around 300 million people in the country are being told not to go to school or work or church or anywhere unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, but yet abortion clinics are still open. And yeah. uh, most of them are on the country. A couple states, Texas and uh, Iowa, I think a couple others, Idaho, have tried to pass um, laws saying they must close. They are not essential. And they're being Planned Parenthood is suing these a couple of these governors now. Chris, what is your take on what is an essential business, and is this going to affect us down the road? Well, it certainly will, because who knows how deeply affected the country is going to be and how many of those small businesses, when they're able to reopen, won't be able to mm -hmm. reopen because they won't have the capital to do so. And they're, they again, it's one of those things, do I reopen my business when I don't have a clientele? And if I don't have a clientele, how do I pay my workers? And, you know, it, it's that really that terrible no-win situation. But this is the problem when you have a country that's, I don't know, 330 to 350 million people. Blanket policy is detrimental to this kind of a situation. And essential, you would want to basically say, well, you're telling me if I own a business that I'm not essential and I may not have a business to come back to. Mm. So who's going to hire me and how am I going to pay my bills? And then add to that how many trillions of dollars we're going to have to pay back or just throw onto that lump of the national debt that by the time this is over and done with, it's going to be probably $25, 26000000000000 trillion. We're passing that on to our kids. Wow. And this it's what's amazing is, to me, um, we are now letting governors in states, the states' rights, right? We're letting them determine what a business are essential and non-essential. And it seems like the um, Democrat governors say, of course, Planned Parenthood is essential. Republican governors are saying, no, Planned Parenthood is not essential. The church is an essential business. You know, it's, it's a fascinating uh, debate going on right now in our culture. But, but to the abortion industry, um, it is the most, one of the most let me let me rephrase that. It's one of the least regulated industries in America that would some of their proponents would say it, it's under the guise of health care. Well, it is absolutely astounding. These conditions, sanitation and other conditions in some of these abortion clinics, they are not regulated to the extent that any other business, you know, that serves people, helps people under the guise of health would have to be regulated, but they're not. And that's one thing. The other thing is, if you're a Christian, if you believe God's word, that they are eliminating the lives of human beings. And this is a travesty that we are letting them continue. I mean, period. If you, We don't want to debate Roe v. Wade here. But just the fact that we are letting abortion businesses continue, you know, women in and out of the door, they're, they have even banners now. They're proud of it saying, our doors remain open. And Planned Parenthood is, seems to be capitalizing on young women during this time. Do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? Sure. I mean, to them, it's business. It's, that's exactly what it is. This isn't about health care. It's not about compassion. It's not about any of those things. Um, it never has been. This is big business. And I've heard it referred to as 
abortion is kind of one of the sacraments of the left. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's a pretty heavy statement, but yes. it sure seems true. It is. And here we have a great indication of it that essential businesses, you know, again, how many mom and pop companies are never going to return? Probably in the in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of small businesses probably won't weather this storm and be in business a year, a year from now. Planned Parenthood? will still be open for business and they will be the same abortion mill they've always been with government subsidy. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that if you were to ask, actually there's stats, um, the Marist poll, Pew, I think, or Gallup, they've all done these surveys and the majority of Americans now, let me clarify, I'm not saying a majority of of Americans are pro-life, although it's, you know, it's it's close, 50-50 or whatever, 60-40. Um, a majority of Americans, up to almost 80 percent in one poll, disagree with funding Planned Parenthood with our federal tax dollars. Now, what, when people's wallets are concerned, then they're going to speak up. Right. So almost 80 percent of people say they oppose taxpayer funding. But what has gone on? Well, we we just let it continue. Taxpayer funding. We've got to take a little uh, a different uh, slant here now in the last five minutes here, Chris. I want to get your take on the congressional partisanship that's been happening um, almost since uh, Trump got elected, actually since he's, he got elected. But recently, um, po- Nancy Pelosi's attempted sabotage of the coronavirus relief bill uh, might be a new low for her. And I read an, a great article by David Limbaugh. I can't get into the whole thing now, but I'll put it in today's post. Um, they're obviously using this. They never want to let a serious crisis go to waste. But why... I'm I'm not even going to ask that question because it's because the media doesn't hold her and the Democrats accountable. I was going to ask why is why isn't anyone uh, giving her any pushback or for resistance for what they're trying to fund that has nothing to do with the health of people in the coronavirus? Um, The simple answer to it is because the media is mainly complicit in their hatred of the administration. But like with, I, I guess, depends on how cynical I really want to be. <laughs> I think, you know, again, everything is about power and who's going to set and dictate policy. I know that there are some people, and every once in a while you'll, you'll see them in a, in a candid moment say what's obvious. And they just, the idea of him getting another four years terrifies them. And so anything that they can do to inflict some kind of damage on this president, they're going to do it. And then there's also the personal animus and hatred that they have for him and the fact that he doesn't really care. I think all those things work together, that they will do anything that they can possibly do to somehow, in their perception, harm and damage the, the country, thereby ensuring that they get power when November rolls around. Is it, a, is it a miscalculation? Mm-hmm. Hard to say. But the knee-jerk reaction, I've never seen anything like it. And no. I'm, I'm sure I can somewhat speak for you in this. I was no fan of the Obama administration, but I didn't stay up at night losing sleep because I hated the guy. <laughs> you know that there are a lot of people that that's exactly it. They, they just have such contempt and disdain for this guy that it rules their lives. Yeah. And it's all a lot of it is because um, President Trump uh, ruined the coronation of uh, potential uh, President Hillary Clinton. But um, Democrats added provisions to increase federal control, federal control over elections, including mandates on how we vote, when we vote, who collects absentee ballots. And, of course, conservatives have long believed that these progressive proposals, such as mandatory early voting, mail-in ballots. Now, uh, what's wrong with that? It would allow ballots to be marked behind closed doors, for one thing. These measures that Democrats are pushing are aimed at manipulating election outcomes and facilitating voter fraud. There's enough voter fraud, and we just can't keep up with it. We don't, we, and we find out about it three months, six years after, I mean, sorry, six months after an election. We find out about this voter fraud. What are your concerns, Chris, about how this all might change? Our current crisis or the pandemic might change the election in November. Well, if she had her way with that, um, it would be a it, it would be an easy thing to just pad your stats 
obviously. They realized that if you could do this on a national level, it wouldn't take a lot to swing an election. They always love to point to the fact that Hillary won the popular vote, allegedly. I say allegedly. I mean this sincerely. Mm -hmm. I lived in California, and if you went into a voting precinct, you would say, man, this is ready for for fraud. Mm -hmm. Um, Election night, where I lived, uh, my congressional district uh, used to be held by a guy named Ed Royce, and Ed Royce would win by 60% plus. Uh, going into the evening when we went, when we all went to bed, our our congressional district was still red by a, a, a comfortable margin. And there are five red districts in Southern California. All five of them flipped when they only expected one. All five. Wow. And it happened in the days after. They, four of the five were red when we went to bed that night, and over the next three or four days, they all turned blue as they kept finding and counting votes. <laughs> and you could the, – the ability – you don't even have to show identification. You could just come in if you know the address of the person that you're saying you are, if you can pull this off. They're not going to check whether or not that's actually you. And – when again, if if Hillary really did win by what she did, she ran an, an election as though we run by the popular vote. Where Trump said, "Wait, it's electoral." He didn't try to win a popular vote, right? And so all you need to do is flip a few states, and in some cases, it was just in the thousands mm-hmm. of votes necessary to get those electors. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So just a little bit more, and it would have been a much different outcome. We um, are reminded to pray, uh, first of all, for God's will. Um, secondly, for wisdom for our leaders, uh, for protection on, on this nation. And his mercy, boy, he's long-suffering when it comes to his, what, what, what I think uh, we don't want to get into judgment and who, who should be judged and when it should happen. That's, that's up to God. But, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm not God um, looking at what's happening and the rebellion against him and but Pastor Chris, we've, we've got to wrap it up. It went by so fast again, but we'll have to have you on again. Pra- Pastor Chris Quintana, the website is oldpaththeology.net. We'll be checking out more of your teachings on that website. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right, God bless you, brother. For the When we come back, uh, some more guests the rest of this week, a couple brand new ones. We'll tell you about that in a minute. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Well, tomorrow Patrick Wood is back with us. It's been a while since we've talked to him. Uh, Of course, he's got one of his uh, favorite books, Technocracy Rising, and he is a critical expert on sustainable development Uh, Green Economy Agenda 21, uh, 2030 Agenda, and Globalism. We'll talk with Patrick Wood tomorrow. Wednesday, Sam Sorbo, author, actress, homeschool advocate. By the way, coronavirushomeschooling.com is a website you want to check out if you're running out of ideas for teaching your kids at home. It's a great resource. Um, Also, Thursday, brand new guest, Kathy Barnett will be with us. And then Friday, Dr. Andy Woods. And, of course, Friday is what we call Good Friday. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for sharing our podcast. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.